Hello and welcome to the e-commerce playbook podcast. My name is Andrew Ferris. Thanks again for joining me for another week talking about what is happening in our business 4x400 where we are a holding company that acquires, operates and grows e-commerce brands and uh, all the things that we are learning you can apply them hopefully to your business as always in real time with real honesty and real numbers in every possible way. This week on the show, I'm going to be getting into sort of a resource allocation. I got a question from a listener that I uh, really loved thinking about how do we build all of our resources against the best possible outcomes, no matter what kind of business you're in, this is a crucial question. I'm going to give you my thoughts on how we're doing it at 4x400. Stay tuned. So like I said in the intro, this um, episode was was inspired by a question I got from a listener named Jorge. I'm going to read his question in a second. But as it happens, it was something that also I've been thinking about a lot just generally at 4x400. Uh, sort of just thinking hard about how do we get really good at thinking about allocating my best resources towards my best opportunities. As you can imagine, this is a particular challenge at 4x400 because we own multiple brands. So we constantly have to ask ourselves the question, well, where is the highest upside for 4x400 across all of our brands? And when we have shared resources across multiple brands, how do you allocate those resources in a way that is going to create the most value for the total. And um, and there's all kinds of ways to think about that. And um, and as I'll mention in a second, Jorge has a similar business, but he, this isn't necessarily something that only applies to sort of a holding company business model because no matter what kind of business you're in, you have the same question. Time is always a, a limited resource. There is opportunity cost on every second you spend. The moment that I'm spending right now recording this podcast is a moment that I cannot spend on something else. So I have to. So every decision I make to record a podcast is a decision I make to not do something else. And I have to believe that for some reason, this is more valuable than something else I could be doing. And so, so you, you've got to think about that. You've got to think about that for everything you do. And the more complex your business is and the higher your position in your business is, the more difficult of a question that tends to be. Um, so there's all kinds of inputs there. So, so let me read Jorge's question uh, and, and tell you what he was thinking about. Um, he said, you mentioned how 4400 is structured in a way that you really can't go deep into the brand's problems because you have people that work on multiple brands. Um, he was talking about a previous episode here. He said, I found myself in the same situation. To give you some context, we own three brands. Jorge's in Portugal, and we sell mostly to retailers. It's the same team for all the brands, and naturally, the teams tend to spend a lot more time on the brands that are killing it and not so much on the ones that are not doing great, even though the reason they don't do so great is because we don't spend time on them. Would love to know your thoughts on how 4400 is structured and if you feel it's the right organizational model. Um, so I love this question. I love this question, and this was DM'd to me on Twitter, just in case, uh, you, in case you didn't believe me that I checked DMs or um, that you can ask a question. Um, I, I, you know, I really am reading those and checking those. So, um, so if you want to reach out there, I'm always happy to, to, to listen. But the heart of his question, I think part of the thing that he gets at that's so good here is that part of the reason we might be doing bad in one area of the business is because we're focusing on the areas of the business where we're doing well. And if we focus on those, perhaps we will... It, it will sort of be uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy. We'll do worse on the areas that we're not focusing on. 
um, because we're not focusing on them. So what do you do about that? And, uh, and this is a constant resource allocation question. So, um, so let me tell you a couple things that we are doing. And I'm going to tell you first that I don't think that I'm a great organization and process thinker. Uh, so, so actually I'll tell you one thing I'm doing here is, is working on putting other people into positions to answer this question better than I can, because I, I just am not a person who, you know, I've been around people who just sort of look at an can just look at an organization and can sort of see how all the component parts are fitting together and make sure that everybody is in the right seat. And I think there's probably an element of this that's just experience and where I will grow in this skill with more reps at it. But right now, I don't feel like I'm awesome at this. Um, I, I tend to be not be a very good process person in general, um, and so I so I have to learn. I have to stretch myself to get better there, or or you know find somebody else to be great at that. Um, so, so I don't know that I have an incredible answer to this question, but I'll tell you, it's a question I think about a lot. And, and the reason why, again, just to repeat, this matters for every business is because everything you put time into is like this. Maybe your Facebook ads account goes poorly because you don't spend any time on it. Maybe your website goes poorly because you don't spend any time on it. Maybe your website is, you know, CRO or whatever is what I mean. Uh, maybe, you know, again, you could do that with a million things. And, and you can break that down to the product level as well. Perhaps you are really struggling selling product A because you're spending all your time driving traffic and thinking about how to optimize your funnel for product B. And so, yeah, so again, you could just sort of do this endlessly. Say, so how do you decide where to go? Well, the first thing that I'll say that we've been doing to think about this is we are thinking increasingly about methodology on the decision-making. Uh, so Dave, who you've heard on this podcast, um, VP of New Brands at 4400, Dave loves the book. I think it's called Thinking in Bets by the poker player, Annie Duke. Um, and, and the basic idea is that in poker, you are able to think clearly about sort of the expected value of the outcome of any hand, and that's how you make your wager. It's, it's math at the end of the day. And, um, and part of the reason a poker player can do that, of course, is because Poker is a relatively fixed game, and you can and you can um, run the numbers on any given hand, basically, to have some idea mathematically of what your chances are, and therefore what your expected value is on any given hand. Now, I, I'm not a serious poker player; I just know that second hand. So, if I said that wrong, don't <laughs> hold my feet to the fire on that. You get the basic idea, though, right? That like, there good poker players know how much a given hand is worth, and uh, and therefore they they make their plays accordingly. It, that's why it's not just a luck game. Well, um, the problem with applying that to our business is a lot of times we don't know how much the hands are worth. And that's because we haven't taken the time to get serious about having a standard of measurement for where to put our time and where to put our resources. So, um, so Dave and I have been talking about this. Dave is a really good detail thinker about this kind of thing, just sort of naturally. He's got a good mind for finance. And, and so we've started to think about, well, Dave, what if you started to look across our organization and think seriously about what the best return we can get is like at the product level and where we're getting tied up. Now, now of course, to, to answer that question, you need a standard of the best return. And the most obvious first answer to that question is where's your highest margin? But that actually won't do very well as a, as a final answer. Because I can tell you that I have way higher margin on some Bamboo Earth products than I do on my slick products, okay, or on like on certain slick products. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean we should put all of our time into our Bamboo Earth products because there's all kinds of other questions. And the same is true, by the way, with 31 bits, for example, is very good margin. So, um, so why isn't that enough? Well, because first off, 
margin isn't everything. Uh, margin has to be combined with cash conversion cycle in order to end up getting you towards something like your free cash flows. Now, the, the, you know, there's a couple ways to get it, how your free cash flows are going to come up, but you can you can have great margin on a product. Um, for example, I mean, let's just use an extreme example. If I buy tons and tons and tons of a product, I might be able to get an economy of scale on um, with my manufacturer to where I get a cheaper per product price by um, by ordering in large quantities. And by ordering in large quantities, I get more margin. And that's a win, right? Well, no, because if I, or not necessarily, because if I, that's great that I get that margin back, but the pro, by ordering more, let's say I get my product 10% cheaper by ordering more, more product. But if it takes me forever to sell that product, of course, all of my cash is now tied up in working capital to hold that inventory. And so it doesn't necessarily, though Though I might get high margin by the time I sell it, it might take me so long to sell it that it doesn't actually produce any free cash flow, if that makes sense. So there's this constant trade-off. Do you, you know, how do you optimize for margin versus for um, versus for cash conversion cycle or, or whatever else? And, and there's other things you can do, right? You can negotiate for terms with your manufacturer, but maybe then they're going to give you less margin on the product and think about all these kinds of things. So, um, so... One thing we are thinking about, without getting too deep into that, into the weeds there, is coming up with a standard. By the way, actually, before I get there, one other thing. Another thing that people forget is that margin is great, but what happens if I have lower margin on a product that I know people will come back and buy more often? LTV has to be part of the uh, customer LTV based on your product has to be part of the calculation for how good it is for me to sell a certain product. So maybe I am willing, once again, maybe I'm even willing to massively discount um, and take no margin on 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 my uh, first purchase because I know that a customer will come back for a long, long time. We're considering moving some stuff to Amazon and part of, you know, I talked about that on the show last week. Part of the reason I think Amazon is really interesting is that I think there's pretty good reason to believe that your LTV on Amazon is really good. Um, and so even if I have to give up some margin to be there, then uh, then maybe it's worth it because I'm going to sell so much more product that I'm not going to have to pay customer acquisition costs each time and I'm going to be able to bank future revenue, et cetera. So, uh, so it's not just about margin, though margin is really important. It's also about um, cash conversion cycle and, and how that affects free cash flows and, um, and margin, or excuse me, and LTV. Okay. So Dave and I are thinking about what if we broke down the organization across the whole and Dave really worked down the operations and finance side of the organization to where he started looking across everything we're doing and saying, okay, um, how do we know if an investment is a good investment? Well, the answer to that in some ways in our view is, is how, what's the free cash flow created by that investment? Okay, so just sort of cash return on in invested capital. If we can get cash back, lots of cash quickly, then, uh, then, then we win. Okay, so now we have to come up with a way to measure at the brand and product level uh, where cash gets tied up and where it gets freed up and then go attack those problems, okay? And so, so what if Dave kind of looks across the organization on that side of things and then we kind of talk and say, okay, look, for example, for us, Slick Products moves a ton. Uh, in fact, I'm going to hold off. I'm going to give you that example in a second. Um, so Dave looks across that. 
And he says, hey, here's a bunch of capital tied up in this one space. And then he says, Andrew, um, can you work with the growth team, uh, which is definitely where I'm more comfortable in terms of where my skills are best, work with the growth teams to invest their time against um, freeing up more cash by moving, by selling more of product, you know, B instead of product A to use the shorthand I used earlier. Okay, so, so here's, let me give you an example, okay? So Slick Products is killing right now. I've barely talked about it, but like Slick is just crushing our expectations. Uh, I talked about it a little bit last week. It's just going so great. So great, in fact, that we are burning through inventory and, uh, and including inventory that we, some inventory that we get from China, like our foam cannons. And that's creating a little bit of a problem for us because now we have to figure out how to sell other products. So there's this beautiful constraint. And man, I love when you get constraints like this in a business because constraints force creativity. This happens all the time and it ends up producing great outcomes, okay? Um, but here's the constraint. We are going to run out of products and there isn't a great way to get more of it faster. Now, in the long term, we're gonna try and solve that a bunch of different ways, including, you know, shopping some, get feelers out for other manufacturers and, um, you know, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff. But right now, there's a long lead time for us from our China manu Chinese manufacturer to foam cannons for all kinds of reasons. There's supply chain shortages across the world, whatever, it doesn't matter. Okay, it's just a reality of our business. So we are, though, Slick is killing it. So what do we do to keep Slick's revenue performance up, ad spend down, both of which are currently already happening? And like one answer here, right, is just slow down the total performance, take less revenue, and don't run out of foam cannons because otherwise we're going to run out if we keep going. Well, um, that's not a great option. Like we'd, we'd rather keep the revenue high and instead, sell different products, okay? Because uh, all of Slick's liquid products and aerosols are made in the USA. It's really pretty easy for us to get more of it. It's a short lead time. Um, and and if and we keep a good safety stock. And so if we sell a lot of them fast, it's no big deal for us. We just go back to our manufacturer, order more, get a better margin uh, in the process, okay? So so here's the, so that's the constraint, right? The constraint is we need to sell, we need to, to keep our revenue high, we need to sell products that are not manufactured in China. Ideally, that means selling more liquids and aerosols and less foam cannons and brushes and towels, okay? So what do we do about that? And that's the, that's the constraint and that's the challenge, okay? So as it turns out, uh, the team who's been working mostly on that, Brian, our, our GM on Slick and the founder of Slick, as well as Vince, my uh, you know paid media um, director, Vince and Brian have been working hard to shift our ad spend away from any offer, we, we do these landing page focus offers that has a foam cannon as part of the offer. Uh, we stopped discounting our foam cannons in any possible way. That was a big part of our customer acquisition strategy before was to discount foam cannons. Um, and so instead we, we sort of got rid of that funnel basically. So now foam cannons are full price everywhere. And we instead really focused more. I think we have version 16 of a landing page right now, uh, live being tested for our shine product instead, our aerosol spray. And the reason for that is so that we can sell more shine and less foam cannons. And in two weeks, in a two week time period, we have cut our foam cannon sales in half while keeping our revenue basically constant by, by shifting these things over. And our ad spend has actually gotten more efficient in the process, okay? The constraint created that activity. Now, what does that have to do with what I was saying earlier? It has everything to do with it. Why? Because as it turns out, this this foam cannon constraint is a constant problem for us. 
foam cannons eat up tremendous amounts of working capital for us. It's a low margin product to begin with, relatively speaking. Customers love it, so we're happy to sell it to them. And they bundle a bunch of other stuff with it. So it's part of the package I have to sell, but it's kind of a crappy thing. Right now, 4,400 is sitting on about $400,000 in cash and about $800,000 in inventory. And a lot of that inventory, that's across the entire organization, and across... And, and a lot of that inventory is really tied up with working capital for Slick specifically and for foam cannons specifically. Um, so it, it's a huge amount of working capital for us to, to maintain that. And so what, what, and Dave and I have talked about this before actually. And so, so is Brian, this is not news. Same with Rob, our director of supply chain. Nobody here is going to be surprised to hear this. Okay. But the reality is if we could move that shift more broadly, it would be way better for our business. We wouldn't tie up nearly so much working capital. We would be able to um, exist on shorter timelines, speed up our cash conversion cycle. And if we move enough of these products, do that all at a pretty good margin because we can order enough anyway. Uh, we don't have to have so much safety stock. We don't have to worry about these long lead times, um, all etc. Okay, uh, and and it's it's good margin for us. Okay, so that's the situation that happened right now. What we look at is hey, we want to sell more of product B, the shine, instead of product A, the foam cannon. And, and so we start to move all of our resources against that. That means saying people who are already working on that, on that uh, ad account, okay? Um, our, ad, our ad creative team, our uh, paid media people, Brian himself as the head of Slick, they go and attack this problem. Now, that happens to have been a constraint created by an inventory problem, Okay. And so we had to go do that. But what if instead of just doing that because of an inventory problem, we were looking across our organization and saying, how do we free up the most? How do we, how do we invest capital to create the, the most cash flows in general, maximize our cash flow in general? If we could do that, then, um, then make that same exact shift we just made with Slick and that Shine product. Say, wait a minute, we're selling, maybe it's Bamboo Earth. Maybe it's like, gosh dang, we're selling all of these uh uh, products, all these individual products. Um, in fact, we've had this with bamboo. God, this is a great point. We, we, uh, we have, um, we have not based so much on free cash flows because actually there isn't much variation there with, with bamboo's products, but we have looked at bamboo and said, we need to focus on high LTV products. So I'm actually going to talk about this in a future episode. I'm just waiting to finalize a couple things. But we have looked and seen that when people buy one bottle of moisturizer from us or one bottle of any of our products from us or one jar of it, they, they have a much lower LTV than people who buy kits. So we have at some point moved all of our advertising towards focusing on kits because we wanted to get higher LTV customers. And so, um, so it was the same exact thing. We, we saw this data point about which products it was more advantageous to sell, which one created more total cash for us, ultimately, in the long run, um, and, but, and shifted our advertising and our growth strategy all around that, which meant shifting customer service people around that, supply chain, production, all of those, all of those people, all around those things, okay? So that's the way we answered that question. In that case, it was more about LTV than about working capital, but it, it, it's, a, it's functionally very similar, which is that uh, we're going to be able to create more cash by doing this. Uh, slightly different timeline, but nonetheless. So, yes, so that's the question. Now, here's the thing. For me at the top of the organization, what's unique about my job versus the people who are working on individual brands is to, is to move those resources towards those things, not just at the individual org level, but across the entire thing. Now, that, so, you know, how do we, how do we spend our time on Slick and Bamboo Earth? 
versus our new brands, for example. And, and that's a constant calculation. But the answer to that question is going to constantly be about what is our return, uh, our cash flow return on each of those investments, basically. How much free cash flow does this create for us? Um, so, so step one is actually come up with a standard of that. Come up with a metric, a KPI, that we are going to use to say, this is the judge of our success. Um, we have the beginnings of that idea that uh, Dave and I are working on. And, and then step two is now to get on the same page with our leadership team about that, make that point to them. Um, I think this is the thing that gets lost, and I didn't mention this earlier in the show or in this episode, but I think it's crucial. Um, one thing is, in, I, one way, I could, of course, just tell everybody, go do this, but what works much better is for them to feel it, for them to feel the difference in those things. So communicating clearly so that my director of, of paid media, Vince, right, so that he looks at all of his Facebook ad accounts and he knows what, the different ROAS numbers relative to products and relative to brands actually creates, and he feels it. We communicate clearly and say, here's the free cash flow from Slick versus Bamboo or this product versus this product. Here's where we want you to put your energy. So, um, you know, that means giving transparency into the metrics, making sure that people know the same things, working with designers to do the same thing. Hey, do you see designer? Look, you know, if we don't do X, we're going to have a big problem. And therefore, do you see that? Okay, great. Now, okay, how do you solve that problem from a design perspective, et cetera? Um, production people, supply chain people, all the same thing. So, um, so you communicate that, and then, and then step three, you you go to work on organizing your resources against those things. Set your KPIs, all the usual stuff. Set your KPIs, um, coach people as needed. Um, you know, whatever, whatever. Uh, start moving those resources towards those things. Bonus against that, I would say, if it's a KPI for you and you have bonuses, like bonus against the thing that is the overall company vision. But that's ultimately. Uh, where it's on you to set it up. Um, there are four levels of leadership in a company. I got this from Taylor. There are four levels of leadership in a, or four levels of that happen in a company. Um, uh, four levels of jobs, I should say, in a company. Okay, um, from the top down, those four levels are design, delegate, decide, and do. The higher you go up the org chart, the more it is about designing solutions to problems and systems to solve problems. The lower you go, you get closer to doing and executing the work. Now, that doesn't, I mean, there's exceptions to that. It's a heuristic. It's broad. Again, don't hold my feet to the fire on that, okay? But that's a, a broad way of thinking about how the organization works. My job as a, as a leader where I am is to design, is to, as much as possible, build the entire system to create the best possible outcomes. And, and down from there goes, you know, like I said, delegate, decide, do. That's... Um, that's, again, I stole that straight from Taylor, and I'm sure he stole that from somebody else. But it's a helpful way of thinking about what's going on. My job is to work with people um, in the organization to come up with what is the actual best return on my time and on my money, and then to design the system that's going to create that. Move everybody possible that way. Structure humans and um, dollars and bonuses and uh, tasks and anything else you need to do to get people moving in that direction. That's the way you put your time and your money against the most valuable outcomes. So if you didn't hear it there, um, you know, we're still working through this. We're, we're really in the midst of trying to think through how best to do this. In some ways, I think this is the challenge of every organization everywhere. To deeply understand what matters to your organization. This is not even just a business thing. It's probably true at my church too, right? Like to deeply understand what we really, really care about. And then um, for leaders to design everything about what you do towards those outcomes. 
So, uh, yeah, so it, this will always be a challenge, I think, and there's a million things that get in the way, um, and it's, you know, part of the fun of waking up and doing the job. So, uh, so uh, hopefully that's some help to you. Uh, if it is, I would be so grateful if you would share this with somebody uh, or if you would rate and review us or, hey, even both. Um, and as always, like I said, um, you can reach out to me on on Twitter, uh, at Andrew J. Ferris. You can also uh, email me at, at uh, podcast at 4x400.com, and I would love to interact with you there. Otherwise, I will see you next week.